okay? All right. If you have your Bibles, I want you to turn to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. Always like to have you turn to something in the New Testament, something in the Old Testament. So turn to Exodus 19. And I know some of you bring your Bibles, and I love to hear Bible pages turn because it sounds like angel wings. Uh, I still bring my Bible to church, but I know some of you are techie, and you have your smartphones, and, and you go to it that way. So whatever way you get into the Word, I want you, and, even, and I'm going to put it up on the screen as well, but I want you to also turn there because it just helps you to see it there and see it in, your, in the Bible. But Ephesians chapter 4 and Exodus chapter 19, and I, this is probably going to be a, a series for this month um, since there's four Sundays, and I know Ray's coming, Ray Hollis is coming next Sunday. Uh, this is either going to be a two- or three-part series, but it's going to be uh, Kings and Priests is the title of it. And I'm going to introduce this today. This message, I heard this message from a pastor that I listen to from time to time. Uh, pastor Mike Hayes is where this came. And he, he pastors Covenant Church in the Dallas-Fort Worth area is where their church is located. And I heard this probably 20-some-odd years ago. And this really resonated with me because I was dealing with something during a time where I, I didn't really, I knew that God had called me into the ministry, but I also knew for me to ministry, to do ministry where I was at, that I needed to be bivocational, okay? And so, meaning I needed to have a job in the, you know, a job, but also to do ministry as well. And so, I wasn't in a major metropolitan area where some of them, you know, they're on staff, they're, they're, they get paid a, a full salary and all those kind of things, uh, where I was at. And this message really helped me to nail down who I am in Christ and stop this inner tur turmoil that I had. And really where I was getting my information from was from the world, was from the traditions of man, that, that, I, that to be in full-time ministry, then I needed to just be full-time at the church and be a hireling and, and do everything. And God said, Mark, that's really not the way I set it up. And began to show me some things in the Word that, yes, a, an elder of the church or a fivefold ministry, you're worth double honor. But there may be sometimes, and I'm getting way ahead of myself, there may, you, you may not be employed by the church all the time. You, you may need to work, amen, to provide for your family. I have a family myself. And so this message really, and I've been helping some people navigate through this in my life as well, and it's, this really resonated with me, and I pray that what, I, what I'm hoping that happens after we hear this word today, that you're going to leave here knowing your purpose in life and knowing who you are in Christ. Yeah. All right, so here we go. So Ephesians chapter 4. If you want to know my job description, here's my job description from God Almighty. Not from man, but from God. Not from the traditions of man, not from a denomination, even though we're a non-denominational church, uh, not even from a non-denominational church. This job description is what I'm supposed to do in the role that God called me to be in. And it says in, in verse 11, it says, And he himself, talking about Jesus, gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints for the work of the ministry. There it is. God called me to be a pastor and a teacher, and my responsibility is to equip you guys, the saints, for the work of the ministry. And everybody said, amen. For the edifying of the body of Christ, verse 13, till we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, to the measure, the stature, the fullness of Christ, that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men and the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting. But speaking the truth in love may grow up in all things into him who is the head, Christ. One of the greatest things that you can do for the Lord in your journey with him is mature and grow up. Yeah. Amen. And that's what God's doing on each and every one of us. So that's, that's my job description. I wanted to read that to you before we got into the kings and priests because this is an equipping message so that you know who you are in Christ. You're either a king or a queen or you're a priest or a priestess. Now you can be both, and, and we all are in here are both, but one of those, a king or a priest, will be a dominant gift in your life. 
And that's what you're going to leave here knowing today. Exodus 19, verses 4 through 6. It says, You've seen what I did to the Egyptians, your enemies, and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, then you shall be a special treasure to me above all people, for all the earth is mine. Okay? The earth is God's, not Satan's. Amen? You got that? And, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests. Some translations will say kings and priests. And a holy nation. Everybody say holy nation. You may be an American, but if you're a Christian, you're part of a holy nation. And that's the nation of God. These are the words which you shall speak to the children of Israel. So this is God speaking to Moses. And, he, and what God is wanting, and I'm going to show you this in other passages of Scripture, what God wants is for us to get the revelation. This is not information. This is revelation today. He wants you to get the revelation that you're a king and a priest in the earth, and you're a part of the holy nation of God. Now, you may be an American or wherever you live, but who you really are, you're a king and a priest in the holy nation of God, and you represent him in the earth. Here's another scripture that shows this in 1 Peter 2, verses 9 through 10. It says, uh, the apostle Peter says, But you're a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light who once were not a people, but are now the people of God, who had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. You are a chosen generation, you're a royal priesthood, you're a holy nation, and you are special in the eyes of God. And here's the other, and I'm going to add this to it, and we need to act like it. We need, yes, we do. We need to hold our heads up high, stick our chests out, when you walk into a room, because you're a child of the Most High God. And wherever you go, you bring his fragrance. Amen? All right. Here's, here's another scripture that shows this. I'm just trying to give you scripture so that gets it gets this in you, this revelation. Revelation 1, verses 4 through 6, says this, John, to the seven churches which are in Asia, grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come. And from the seven spirits who are before his throne. And from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, and the ruler over the kings of the earth. To him who loved us. Everybody say loved us. And washed us. Everybody say washed us. From our sins in his own blood. And has made us. Everybody say made us. Kings and priests. Everybody say kings and priests. Okay, so he's loved us, washed us, and the reason why he's loved us and washed us because he wants to make us into kings and priests. To his God and Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. So I want you to see that in Revelation 1, verses 4 through 6. He loves us, he washes us, and he does that because he wants to make us kings and priests in the earth. I'm going to give you something noteworthy today, okay? If you're taking notes, I want you to write this down or make a middle note of it. The call, that is, is the call that is upon your life and upon my life as Christians, as believers, as kings and priests, we are here to build a garden, which is the kingdom of God, and not dig up the graveyard. I'm going to say that again. Your call is to build a garden, the kingdom of God, wherever you're at, in your marriage, your home, your business, wherever you go, that's your call, and not constantly be digging up the graveyard. And what I mean by that, where most people stop, they get the revelation that God loves me, that God's washed me, but they never make it to that third, which makes us kings and priests because they're constantly saying, I still got to get saved next Sunday. And it's a, it's a trick of the enemy to keep you condemned, shamed, and guilted so that you constantly feel like that God don't love me and God hasn't washed me. So therefore, you're never going to be a king and priest, and therefore, you're never going to do anything to the kingdom of darkness. And you're never going to advance the kingdom of light, the kingdom of God. And so what, he, what the enemy does is he tricks us to constantly go back and dig up the old man, to dig it up, dig it up, dig it up. And God's saying, did you not get saved? Did you not go through water baptism? Then the old man is dead. Sin is gone. Do you not believe what my blood did at the cross? My sin, my blood washed away your sin. Amen. If that's all you came to church for, that's good enough today. 
So what? So I want to take us from knowing that God loves us, knowing that God has washed us from our sins, and now he's saying, I want you to be a king and a priest in the earth. And you grow in this. This is a revelation that we all need, that every believer needs. But what kings seek is dominion, and priests seek glory. Meaning kings want to go out and conquest, conquer, you know, dominion, all right? Priests seek the glory of God, the presence of God. God wants a holy nation of kings and priests. Now, this is our main scripture today, and I'm just going to give it to you again. Revelation 1.6. I'm focusing on what he's made us to be. He has made us kings and priests to his God and Father. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. And I broke this down into three simple things, and then I'm going to expound on this for the next several Sundays. Uh, it won't be next Sunday, but the Sunday after that and the Sunday after that. Probably going to be three parts, two or three parts to this, because there's a lot to share on this. But... The first thing that I want to, want to talk about is what are the assignments of kings and queens? Okay? And so I'm just going to look at, we're going to look at somebody in Scripture who was a king. What are the assignments of kings and queens? And we're going to go back in the Old Testament, and we're going to look at King David, the uh, greatest king that ever lived outside of Jesus. In 2 Samuel chapter 11, verse 1, and he was a man just like us who had faults. I'm going to say that right now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, we're not going to read all 2 Samuel chapter 11, but I, I encourage you to do that because I'm not going to focus in on 2 Samuel chapter 11. We're going to read verse 1, and then we're going to jump over to verse or chapter 12, but I'm not going to talk about um, his whole ordeal with Bathsheba, okay? I want to show you, first of all, why he missed his assignment and then he got back into his assignment. All right, so 2 Samuel chapter 11, verse 1. So here's the deal. When you don't know who you are in Christ, you're, on the enemy, you're in the enemy's playground. They can mess with your mind a whole bunch. So 2 Samuel chapter 11, verse 1. It says, it happened in the spring of the year. Everybody say spring. And some of you, we're already ready for spring, aren't we? At the time when kings go out to battle. So that's when, you know, weather that's when kings went out with their armies to do battle, to conquest, to take dominion. That David sent Joab and his servants with him and all Israel, and they destroyed the people of Ammon and besieged Rabbah. Everybody say Rabbah. This one mean something here in just a little bit. Another city. But David remained at Jerusalem. He's a king. He's, 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 his uh, job description is dominion and conquest, but he sends out his army and he doesn't go with them. He stays at home. And if you'll continue reading chapter 11 of 2 Samuel, that's where the whole ordeal happened with Bathsheba. Okay? Then in 2 Samuel chapter 12, Nathan, the prophet, has to confront him about his sin with Bathsheba and basically tell him, you're not acting like a king. You need to get back into your role as king. All right? David repents of his sin. God forgives him. Old Testament. Amen? There were still consequences to his sin because there was a lot of things that kept happening in his household because of this situation. So, ju so just because God has forgiven you and you are forgiven, you've, asked, you've repented, you've asked for forgiveness, you still may have to deal with some consequences. Sometimes God delivers us from consequences. Sometimes he don't. Okay? But here's the deal. You're forgiven if you repented. You've got to know that. Okay, so just doing a little jet tour through... Uh, 2 Samuel 11 and, and 12 here real quick. And so we're going to jump down to verse 29 in 2 Samuel chapter 12. So David gathered all the people. This is after David's repented. This is after Nathan the prophet has confronted him. He's repented. He's back to acting like the king again, being the king. So David gathered all the people together and went to Rabbah. Remember I said you say Rabbah earlier? Because that's where he should have been. Listen to this. Fought against it and took it. Because that's his job description. He's, in this, he's a king. He's supposed to take dominion and conquest. Then he took their king's crown. And I'm just going to share this real quick. Somebody's wearing your crown today that you need to take it back. The enemy's wearing your crown in some area of your life that you need to take it back. From his head, its weight was a talent of gold with precious stones, and it was set on David's head. Also, he brought out the spool of the city in great abundance. So that's also the king's responsibility. There were spools from this war 
And he brought out the people who were in it and put them to work with saws and iron picks and iron axes and made them cross over to the brickworks. So he did all to the cities of the people of Ammon. And if you'll go back and study this, and I don't have time to go into all this, but the people of Ammon had stolen from the people of God. So the enemy has stolen from you, and it's rightfully yours, and you need to go take it back. And so that's what's going on in this whole situation. And then David and all the people returned to Jerusalem. Now, I don't have time to go through all this first, second Samuel and first, second Kings and tell you all this, but what David had, David had a project in mind. What God had put in David's heart was to build God a temple in Jerusalem. So everywhere he went and he took dominion and conquest and spoils from war, he brought it back to help build the temple. And um, so, so David had this project in mind. He wanted to build a temple for God, and so he gathered all the spoils from the wars that he'd been in to do it. And my, my goal is for this message, and I've been telling you this all along, you're going to know your purpose after hearing this message. You're going to know your dominant gift. You're either, every one of us in here, I'm going to say this right now, every one of us in here are kings and priests in the holy nation of God if you know Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Jesus is the ultimate king and priest, okay? Then he calls all of us to be kings and priests with him in his kingdom. But one of these areas is going to be either a king or a priest is going to be a dominant gift in you. And I'm going to show you here in a little bit how that works. Um, I'm going to use this as an example. I found out later in life, uh, some of you have came up to me this morning and it made me think of this, saw my grandson on social media, and he's starting T-ball. Man, I cannot wait, you know. But he's already advanced T-ball. He could do coach pitch right now. And it's due to his mom, the coach, you know, throwing underhanded to him and stuff. But he has got a sweet left-handed swing. And he just started, he just picked up. He does a lot of things right-handed, but he bats left-handed. He writes, he writes right-handed, right? But he bats left-handed, okay? And I want to say that that came down from his poppy. But I also know that Scott, the other grand, grandfather on the other side of the family, he's left-handed, Scott. So we. But what to tell? I'm gonna just. This is my story, so it's not Scott telling this story today. <laughs> so, um, but in my life, my dad's got some left-handed traits, but he's mainly right-handed. Well, later in life, I started when I started bow hunting. Okay. Uh, and if you don't like hunting, I'm sorry. Just think think that I'm taking going out and taking pictures of animals. Okay, but. Uh, anyway, that's for the internet and all that kind of stuff. Uh, but but I like to bow hunt, white-tailed deer. And, well, when I started this, and my brother told me, he said, Mark, when you start bow hunting, you're going to put down your rifle because bow hunting's a whole lot funner because you get, you get close to the deer, and it's just exciting, the adrenaline rush and all that. And so, and he was right, I did. And I really love bow hunting, and um, I went... Um, I went to a guy's house that I had a right-handed bow, and he said, Mark, let's practice with your bow. And so he had his target set up and everything. We started practicing, and I can't ever hit the target. I mean, I'm, I'm close to the bullseye, but I am never hit it. And I'm like, man, I've got it right in my sights, and I cannot hit it. And so this guy was adjusting my sight, and I kept missing. And he finally looked at me, and he said, Mark, have you ever checked which, which eye is dominant on you? And I was like, no, never have. And so we did this little test, one of these, the triangle test or whatever, and I found out that I'm actually left-eye dominant. And he said, you need to be shooting left-handed. I said, that's going to be the most awkwardest thing in the world for me to shoot left-handed. He said, well, try it out. And so he had a left-handed bow there, and sure, I don't know why, but to grab the bow with my right hand, which is my strong hand, but to pull back, and it just feels really comfortable. And it's just, it just, and then, boom, and I just, rob, it was Robin Hood. Just not time after time. I was robbing. I was like, oh, the deer, the deer have no, <laughs> I'm going to get me a big old buckopotamus this year, you know. And because uh, I found out I was left eye dominant. And it just, and I just was excited. And I'm like, man, I was like, but that's the only thing I can do left-handed <laughs> is that. And, uh, and it's okay because I can hit the bullseye every time. I can't do it with my, my right hand, you know, and I found out dad, he's let, he shoots, like, now I can't shoot a gun left-handed because that feels awkward as all get out, but the bow felt, and so dad had a left-handed bow that he gave to me, so I've got my left-handed bow, but that's how I found out that I'm left-eyed dominant, so what I, what I said all this to say this, when you leave here today, you're going to know your dominant gift, whether you're a king or a priest, 
And then, I, then what I'm hoping you're going to do is you're going to activate it. Some of you already have, and I'm going to call you out here in a little bit. Some of you, because as your pastor, one of my jobs is a, I'm a priest. That's my dominant gift. By the way, I'm just going to tell off of myself right now. Even though I'm a king and a priest, I'm a pr- what I, God's called me to do is to be a pastor and a teacher. But I'm going to call out some kings in here in a little bit. So here's number two. Number two, what are the assignments of priests and priestesses, okay? Because there's men and women. There's kings and queens, men and women. Amen? Okay? All right. So Numbers chapter 1, I'm going to just say this. One of the biggest contributors, and we're going to talk about this in days to come, one of the biggest contributors to Jesus' ministry were women. And what he found in, in his ministry were queens. I think it was Lydia, the, and the one that uh, made purple, you know, the, and we'll, we'll look at those scriptures later. I'm getting ahead of myself. But they supported Jesus' ministry. They were kings and queens. They supported the priestly ministry. All right, Numbers chapter 1, verses 47 through 54, talks about the tribe of Levites. They were the first, uh, first tribe to wear Levi's, to wear blue jeans. That's a joke, by the way. Okay. <laughs> yeah, that flopped big time. All right, Numbers chapter 1, verses 47 through 54. It says, But the Levites, who were the tribe of priests, were not numbered among them by their father's tribe. For the Lord had spoken to Moses, saying, Only the tribe of Levi you shall not number, nor take a census of them among the children of Israel. Yes, we're reading now the book of Numbers. That's the book that we all skip in our Bible reading plans. But you shall appoint the Levites... Over the tabernacle of the testimony, over all of its furnishings, and over all the things that belong to it, they shall carry the tabernacle and all its furnishings. They shall attend to it and camp around the tabernacle. And when the tabernacle is to go forward, the Levites shall take it down. And when the tabernacle is to be set up, the Levites will set it up. The outsider, now listen to this. God is so, so particular about this that he says none of the other 11 tribes can go into the temple like they can, or into the tabernacle. He says the outsider, and he's not talking about somebody outside the camp of Israel. He's talking about the other 11 tribes. The, the outsider who comes near shall be put to death. This is how, how serious God is about it. The children of Israel shall pitch their tents, everyone by his own camp, everyone by his own standard, according to their armies. But the Levites shall camp around the tabernacle of the testimony, and there will be and there be no wrath, may be no wrath on the congregation of the children of Israel. And the Levites shall keep charge of the tabernacle, the testimony. Thus the children of Israel did according to all that the Lord had commanded Moses, so they did. So there was, I'm just showing you this order that the priests were to take care of the tabernacle, the place where the people of God met at, and nobody else was to do it. Everybody got that? All right, and God was serious about it. There was a story that I heard when I was preparing this message, and I'm going to tell you, God is going to speak to you, and I'm going to just preface it with this. God is going to speak to you today by the Holy Spirit, not through me, but just by looking through his word, what you are. You're either a king, a queen, a priest, or a priestess, all right? That's your dominant gift. You're both, but one of them is going to be dominant. And there was a young man that I heard about that he knew that God had spoken to his heart that he wanted to plant a church in a city. And it made me think of myself when I heard this story. And so he was in a particular denomination, and he decided, you know what, I'm going to go to their board, this denominational board, and I'm going to ask them if I can plant, that I feel that, number one, I feel that God has called me, has spoken to my heart to plant a church in this city with their denominational church on the, on the church sign and everything. And so he thought, man, they're going to be for it. And so he goes to this church denomination board, and he sits down, and he tells them what all that God had put into his heart, and that God had spoke to him to plant this church in this city. And there was one particular individual on this board that he said that I really revered, I respected this man of God. He was way older than I am, had many years of ministry. And he just, he grabbed his Bible, this old man did, on this board and he opened it up, and he said, young man, he goes, I want you to show me a scripture in there that tells you that you're supposed to plant that church in that city. After he told him that God had spoken this to his heart. And I love this, because the Holy Spirit has so much wisdom. 
And this young man was sitting there, and he just flabbergasted. He's like, man, I respect this man of God. I mean, why, why is he acting like this? And then he's got this whole board in front of him. And the Holy Spirit dropped in his heart and said, I want you to turn that Bible back around to him. And he says, and the, what the Holy Spirit told him to do, he said, he said, sir, with all respect, with all due respect, I want you to show me in the Word of God where God called you to preach. <laughs> got pretty tense in that meeting. Couldn't do it. And what he was trying to tell this denomination and all their hierarchy there today, that God still speaks. Yes, he speaks through his word, but he still speaks to individuals today. And so what I'm trying to tell you today is I want you to hear the still small voice of the Lord, what you are today, okay? And so here's another scripture that goes with the priest, and it's Hebrews 5. Verses 1 through 8, I believe the Apostle Paul wrote the book of Hebrews, but I'm not going to debate anybody over that. But Hebrews chapter 5, verses 1 through 8 says, For every high priest taken from among men is appointed for men in things pertaining to God, that he may offer both gifts and sacrifices and for the sins. Okay, So we know that Jesus has already paid that, the ultimate sacrifice. He can have compassion on those who are ignorant and going astray, since he himself is also subject to weakness. And I want to add that right there. Uh, no priest or priestess is a super spiritual giant. I have weaknesses just like you do. God just called me to be a pastor and a teacher. And so it says he can have compassion on those who are ignorant and going astray, since he himself is also subject to weakness. Because of this, he is required, as for the people, so also for himself, to offer sacrifices for sins. And no man takes this honor to himself, but he who is called by God, just as Aaron was. So also Christ did not glorify himself to become high priest, but it was he who said to him, You are my son, today I have begotten you. As he also says in another place, You are a priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek, who in the days of his flesh, and we'll look at Melchizedek here on another Sunday, in how he dealt with King Abraham. Verse 7 says, Who in the days of his flesh, when he had offered up prayers and supplications with vehement cries and tears to him, who was able to save him from death and was heard because of his uh, godly fear. Though he was a son, yet he learned obedience by the things which he suffered. The things that you're going through right now, and if you're called to the priesthood, even if you're a king as well, the things that you've went through is to bring comfort and peace to someone else, to be able to minister to someone else. Now, I'm going to end with this, this third point. I want to go on and on and on, but I want to break this down so that you can chew on this and because this is a, this is a revelation that we all need. This, this, one, this really helped me because in my life, in, in my ministry, what I kept doing is that for some reason I had this idea, and it was from the traditions of men, that either I'm all in being a pastor or I'm all in being in the world at a job. And finally the Holy Spirit got a hold of me and said, Mark, you're both. You're a king and a priest, but I've called you to be a pastor and a teacher, so that's your dominant gift. So just know that. Okay. So now you're sitting there, and I just told you how, the, how, how God spoke to me. So here's what I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to end with this question. How, when you're in the presence of God, you're in the presence of God today, amen? Did you feel the presence of God during worship? Yeah. Feeling the presence of God during this message? It's not about me, it's about Him. And here it is. I want to ask you this, or wherever you're at, not only here at this in this church house, but if you go to another ministry or whenever you're in the anointing of God, okay? Because here's the deal. We all don't walk in the anointing 24-7, okay? So there's an anointing here today because, because the people of God have gathered together, all right? So there's an anointing here. Every one of you carried in an anointing because you know Jesus as your Lord and Savior. And you're a king and priest in the holy nation of God. So you've carried in this anointing. So this anointing has been lifted and magnified in here. Amen? Okay. So when you're in that presence of God like that, how does the anointing of the Lord affect you? That's my question. I'm going to tell you how, how it affects me. I want to prophesy. I, wanna, I, I, I get three-point messages. <laughs> Now they come in threes. I don't know why. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. You know, um, or Scripture comes to me. That, that just, and it energizes me because I'm in the presence of God. That's what happens. 
I love it because I'll sit here on Sunday mornings and I can see who's a priest and who's a king because I'm over here, got Mark in a bridle with because he's wanting to share. He, he's just so downloaded from God. He's, he's just wanting to, you know, because Mark's dominant gift is priest. It's there. That's become aware to him, okay? Um, but I also look around and uh, I'm going to call out some people here this morning, not to embarrass you, but just to hope to help you in your walk with God. But um, Hank and Rhonda are here today. And when you walked in, I was like, they're here today. Because th- that's a couple of a king and a queen back there. Because there was one Sunday, he, he was telling me, he said, man, I was at church one Sunday, and just the Lord just dropped in my heart this and this and this. And I was like, I never said that. You know, I'm thinking that. I never said that. And he wanted to go look at a property because he was thinking about, I can start a business there. I'm going to sell our business, and I'm going to start a business there. That's how a king thinks. That's how a king and a queen think. You get around them for very long, they're very entrepreneurial. They may have three businesses started this week. <laughs> that's just who they, but that's who they are. They're a king and a queen. Amen? Um, uh, so that's what happened to them under the anointing. It stirred up their entrepreneurial spirit to start a business. And what kings and queens do, listen to me, kings and queens bring provision for the vision. It's my responsibility as the priest to have a vision. So it's my responsibility to get up here and cast vision, tell you what we have need of around here to do the works of the ministry. That's why I got up, and I used to never like to do this because I was like, Lord, I just, I'm not going to ask anybody for anything because if they want to give, they'll just do it. I found out real quick, they don't work that way. God began to tell me, no, Mark, I gave you a mouth to ask, to cast vision to tell what we have need of, you know, and you're doing it in the right spirit. Yeah, there has been people that's done it in the wrong motives, in the wrong spirit, for any, and they've put, made us, give us a bad name. You know, be on television and say, give us $77, you know, by next Friday, you know, and every little gray-haired grandma, you know, falls for it. It's, it's, it that is not God. That is manipulation is what it is, okay? But what I did this morning was tell you what our faith projects are around here. We need these to do the work of the ministry. We need these to reach more people. You, and I, here's the deal. And some people you might have choked when you saw the church passenger van because uh, Patricia sent it to me. And I said, hey, what's it gonna, what, what do you think it's going to cost? She goes, about 50 Gs. I'm like, Ugh. you know, that's what happened to me. And, and then I got to thinking, God, if just one kid gets in that van and gets saved, that's worth every penny of it. Okay? It's worth every penny of it. And so... Um, <laughs> I, I can go around the room here and uh, Dusty and Betty, kings and queens, Clark and Jen, kings and queens, Will and Amanda, kings and queens. Um, I just, I could keep going, all right? Um, I'm, I'm going to say this, and I say this with all the love of a pastor in my heart, okay? Because this is going to come across really strong. Everybody ready for this? <laughs> I love you guys, Okay? But I have to say this from the pulpit. If you're concerned about what we did with your $100 that you gave last year, I can tell you what we did with it. We gave it to the, to the it, it was spent in the nursery in about the first two weeks for animal crackers. Yes. Truth. There was a truth problem. Drop the mic. That's what we did with your $100 last year. Okay. Because I've had people come up, what did you do with, you know, I gave all that money. And, and I've learned as a pastor, I don't look at everybody's giving. I want you to know that, okay? But when we put people into ministry, we do. Or when somebody asks, we do. And there was one time I had somebody wanting to, the church financials, wanting to see how much I made, what, what does it, how's, how much does the church bring in per month and everything. I called a pastor friend of mine who had been in the ministry a whole lot longer than I had. And he said, Mark, that's all, that's all good. You, you have open book policy. I said, yeah, we sure do. But he said, here's the deal. You need to know how much they give. Because if they're not a consistent tither and, and offering giver and giver to the church, they have no business looking at it. Yeah. And I said, wow, okay. I mean, he just told me just like that. And he, he said, so just find out. And so I asked Dusty at that time, I said, what does, what does this certain person give? He said, Mark, they gave $71 last year. $71. Okay. They didn't get to look at the books. <laughs> I'm just going to drop the mic there. All right. This is somebody being nosy. Do I come to you and ask to show you me your books on your business to make sure you're tithing? Oh, let's, let's, let's turn the tables here today. All right. 
All right. Oh, boy. Lord, help me, forgive me if I stepped out of line there this morning. But we, but we need to hear the truth. And, but here's, here's the other. I'm going to take this a step further for priests. I look here uh, this morning. Kirk, Kirk is a king. I'm just so glad you're at church today because I can use you as an example because Kirk's usually gone, flying all over, doing his seminars, doing his stuff, leaving Julie at home to take care of the whole farm and all this stuff, leaving her a list of what to do, and he's off. And so there was one year, I'm going to tell this story real quick. There was one year that Kirk asked me, he said, Mark, I want you to go to Colorado with us to the, the big show out there, the big stock show. And he said, in fact, we've got a, we've got a steer we're going to put in it this year. Normally doesn't put them in, but he said, that year we're, we're going to put in a steer of our own. He goes, and I want you to come out to the house and pray over it. You know you're a rural pastor when you pray over a steer, all right? I literally climbed in the pen with the steer in their barn, in this barn that's nicer in some people's homes, <laughs> you know, this beautiful barn, and I climb in this deal, and I put my hand on this steer, and the steer is so gentle, I put my hand on the steer, and my, I'm telling you, my hand just sunk into its, in its fur, because, you know, they had them in that cold environment, so their hair will grow, and so that they look pretty when it's showtime and all that, I put my hand on it, I was like, God, look at that, fit. I mean, it's this big old beefy steer, and, uh, and this is another reason why I learned how to start praying with my eyes open too. But then we had the whole family lined up there on the gates, on the fence gates, and I start praying. And I'm praying my heart out, and I'm praying for this steer to win, for God, the favor of God to be upon this steer. And all of a sudden I hear this ginormous plop, plop, plop. And this steer was doing the, his business as I was praying for it. And they, everybody on the on the fence there that was was praying with me, they we just all just start hoorahing like that. And I'll never forget what Kirk said. Kirk said, "Well, Pastor Mark, you brought the peace of God over that steer." <laughs> so, well, I don't have no stomach issues anymore, for sure. So, but Kirk is a king, and so here's the deal. I here, I'm gonna tell you that I know this about Kirk and Julie, kings and queens, and I'm just gonna use them as an example this morning. So, knowing that, this is what I've learned. So knowing that, I don't turn into the little church lady and go, well, where were you last Sunday, yeah. Kirk? You know, you should be in church. In fact, you should be going on that mission trip that we're going on. He's a king. He's out doing kingly things. He's bringing in the spools of war to help finance the kingdom of God. So I'm not going to send him texts and say, hey, man, we missed you. You know, you should have been in church. What's going on? You're just carnal and you're out there working with steers. No. Guys, I'm, I'm making a joke about it, but that's, that's how a lot of churches act. Yes. And then that's why they don't have no kings and queens in the house. Because not every, here's the deal. Not everybody's called into ministry, and not everybody's called to be a king and a queen. Yes. And so we need to all get in our rightful places. So my job, and I, and I say that I've been cl- trying to close for three or four minutes here, but my job as a priest what I do for kings and queens, what I'm supposed to do according to Scripture, not according to man, is I bless them. That's my number one responsibility is to bless them. But also as their spiritual covering, if I ever see something that I need to warn them about or rebuke or correct them, I can do that according to God's Word because Nathan did that to David in Second Samuel chapter 12. And I want you to note how Nathan did it. He went to him personally. He didn't broadcast it in the synagogue. Amen? He went to him personally. So there's a, there's a right spirit and a right way on how to do those types of things. And here's the other thing I want to say. Priests don't remove kings from their position, and, king, uh, and kings don't remove priests from their position. There's supposed to be mutual respect for one another. And when we have mutual respect for one another, then the kingdom of God is built up and the church advances. Amen? Because when, that, when, this, when this relationship between kings and priests gets out of order, this is what happens. The, there's all kinds of church fights and strife and disorder that goes on. And I can take you in a lot of churches, even some right here pretty close around here, because they're out of order because a king is trying to be doing the priest's job or the priest is submitted to that king because he's Mr. Big Bucks, and it don't work that way. No. There's mutual respect, but God gets all the glory. All right? And so, and I don't, as a, as a priest, I'm not ever going to get, and I, I don't mean this, I'm not ever going to get the church lady mentality, the little church old lady, where were you on Wednesday night? I'm not going to do that, okay? Uh, another little stat for you about this 
is um, in the children of Israel from from scholars and what they and what tradition in writings of of the children of Israel when Moses was their pastor out there and how many there were uh, in the tribes there was this is what it's broke down to there was twenty eight men of Israel to every one Levite so what that tells you if we take that in today's terms. For every one priest, there ought to be 28 kings and, and queens. Okay? And so what I, what I want to say with that is that we need more kings and queens in the body of Christ, in the kingdom of God functioning that. We don't, we, and we need the true Levites to get into their positions. The true Levites. Not the one that grandma called you or somebody else called you. The ones that really heard from God and you're supposed to be in that position. And so... Um, Got time for one more story? Okay. Um, I'm going to show you, because I've been telling all the, the negative things, but I want to show you in a ministry how kings and priests can work together and advance the kingdom of God. Um, and I heard this story from, and this actually came from Pastor Mike Hayes, and he shared this story, that, and I've never forgot this story because it just was so awesome to me. Uh, he was showing how in his church. Now, not, I'm not saying that they never had any problems because they did, but he was, he was, he was telling me that, or in this message, he said that I'm going to show you how this works together and how it's supposed to work. He said, "I had in our ministry, um, we had a meeting, and he said, and on our church board, they have kings and priests, and we all know what our functions are. We know what our roles are, and we work to flow." <clears throat> together and have unanimous decision on what we hear God speaking as elders of the church. And he said, but there's, there's a mixture of kings and, and priests. And he said, some of these guys are businessmen and they're out conquering and dominion and bringing in the spoils of war and helping finance the kingdom of God. And, um, and he said, we were in a situation where our church had bought up some property there in the Dallas-Fort Worth area. And if you know that, that area has just exploded with growth. And he said, we had this a large campus, and then we'd bought some other property adjacent to it, and then there was a two acres that came up for sale. And the pastor had heard about it, and he went to, um, he, he, they had a, a board meeting about it, and said, well, there's this two acres that came up for sale, and Pastor Mike tells them, but here's what they're asking. They bought it, now they're trying to flip it and make money doing it, and here's the deal. Um, I don't feel like, he told them, I don't feel like we're supposed to buy it because that's a whole lot of money. And maybe we need, here's, here's the other deal. I'm telling off on pastors. Here's the other deal. Maybe we need to approach them and tell them this is for a ministry. Maybe they'll give us a discount. Okay? Oh, I, I'm not going to share that story. I had a guy call me one time and when I was selling cars and he said, I have a 501c3 ministry. Will you give me a van? I'm thinking about church vans today, and I was like, I have one too, but I'm going to pay for mine. He was wanting us to give him a van. So anyway, so this pastor, they were in this meeting, and this is, how, this is why you, we need, you need kings and priests working together under the mind of God. And so the, some of the kings in the room spoke up and said, Pastor, you're looking at it all wrong. If we don't buy that two acres then there's going to be fast food restaurants put in there and other stuff, and we need that for the growth of our ministry, for the growth of the temple here, the growth of the church. So we need that, and here's what we're going to do, Pastor. We're going to bless that couple that bought that land, and now they're wanting to flip it and make a profit. We're going to bless them. We're going to pay what they're asking. And, they, and this king said, because, Pastor, and the pastor had never thought this, but this is how kings think, and this is why you need more people speaking into your life. But this, these, this king said, because, Pastor, if you average up what we've spent for this property, that other property, and if we pay full price what they're asking for that property, we still have come in at a very good price per acre what we've paid for all of this. And he said, and I was never even thinking about it like that. Because that's how a king thinks. That's how a king taking conquest, dominion, that's how they think. It's, yeah, the business part, Yeah. They, they can think that way, and God equipped them to think that way. And so they said, well, he's like, man, I never thought about that. So they, they bought that two acres for the, the asking price that they were asking, and then they had that all tied up, and, it was, and when you added it all up, it was at a price per acre that was unbelievable for that market 
that's in the Dallas-Fort Worth area. But that's, I just wanted to share that, that to you because that's, that's the difference between how kings, it's not a default for the priest because priests just don't think that way. He's thinking about the temple and, you know, and trying to do everything for, you know, get the best bang out of the buck that we can. And this king's thinking, we need that land because we're going to conquer it and we're going to reach more people with it. Now, I'm going to end with one scripture because I could go on and on, and we're going we're gonna to do more into this teaching. And I hope that you're leaving here today now with an understanding of who you are in Christ. Amen? And we're all called to be kings and priests, but one of them is going to be dominant. And if you feel like, man, that's when I'm under the anointing, this stirs me. If, if, it's, here's, I'll just, if it stirs you up to give, you know, kings, they start reaching for their mark. Pastor Mark, what do you need? You're a king. You're a king. All right. Acts 20, verses 34 through 35. This is talking about the Apostle Paul, who his primary gifting was an apostle, so he's a priest. But he also says this in Acts 20, verses 34 through 35. He says, Yes, you yourselves know that these hands have provided for my necessities and for those who are with me. I have shown you in every way by laboring like this that you must support the weak. And remember the words of the Lord Jesus that he said is more blessed to give than to receive. Even Paul had a, a worked a job. He was a tent maker is what the word says to support his ministry. And everybody said amen. amen. So the ultimate, the ultimate source of that we need to always be looking for is the Lord Jesus Christ. So here's what priests can't do. Priests can't start looking at kings to be their source. Kings can't look at priests to be their source. I'm not your Jesus. You're, and you're not my source for the supply to provide for the ministry. It's God Almighty. Amen. But what he does need from both of us is our obedience when God speaks. And everybody said amen. All right. I want to I speak this scripture over us today because I was thinking about God. I was, when I was praying about this message, I was like, Lord, show me a scripture where you were king and priest at the same time. Because I'm going to show you ones in Jesus' life where he operated as a king, and he's the ultimate king and priest, amen? And in Colossians chapter 2, you're going to see this. In Colossians chapter 2, and I'm going to start in verse 8, he says, Beware lest anyone cheat you through philosophy and empty deceit according to the tradition of men, according to the basic principles of the world, and not according to Christ. For in him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. Jesus is fully king and fully priest. Verse 10 says, and you are complete in him who is the head over, head of all principality and power. In him you are also circumcised with the circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. So here we deal. We're not working in a graveyard no more. Amen? We've buried that old man. 12, verse 12 says, buried with him in baptism in which you also were raised with him through faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. And you being dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he has made alive together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses. I've called you to build my kingdom, to build my garden in the earth. Quit, get out of the graveyard. Verse 14 says, Having wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against us, which was contrary to us, and he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. There he is as our high priest. Verse 15 says, Having disarmed principalities and powers, he made it public spectacle of them, triumphing over them in it. And there he is as king. He was our king, our high king and our high priest. Amen. I want everyone to bow your heads in here this morning. And I want to make sure that everyone here in the sound of my voice and those that are watching online today and those that will be listening to this on the radio, I want to make sure that you know Jesus as your Lord and Savior. That's how you're going to find out who your dominant, what's your dominant gift, what we've been talking about today. You first have to submit your life, your life to Christ. And how you do that, the Bible says that whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. So, you, you believe with your heart and confess with your mouth is what the word says. And so I want to lead you in this prayer of salvation, of calling upon the Lord this morning. And even if you are saved, I want you to repeat this prayer with them. Say, Lord Jesus, I need you in my life. I believe you are the Son of God. And you died on the cross for me. And rose again on the third day. Please forgive me of my sins. And create a clean heart in me. Renew my spirit so I can hear your voice. I accept you as my Savior.
you are my Lord. Thank you for saving me. And everybody said, amen, amen. And if that's the first time you prayed that prayer, your next step of, is water baptism. We are doing that on Easter Sunday. This year is our first water baptismal service. But if you want to get that done next Sunday, we can do it next Sunday as well. And uh, did everybody learn something today? Do you know who you are in Christ? Walking out here with some more purpose. You have your assignment? Okay. You're, if you're a king or a priest, I want you to start asking the Lord, what's my assignment? All right? Because he's going to tell you. I see Patricia over here. When I get with Patricia, Patricia is a priestess. Because every time I get with her and we talk, she's always talking about what ministry she wants to start next. And I'm like, okay, I've got to get you, get you hooked up with a lot of kings and queens. Because she's got lots of great ideas of, of things, of outreaches that we can do around here to reach people. All right. Jada, will you come up here? Jada and I are going to bless you today. I want everybody to stand up. If you have family there with you, grab hold of their hands. And this is why I do this is because I am called to be a priest. And, I'm, and one of my main responsibilities is to bless you guys. Now, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you. May the Lord be gracious unto you. May the Lord give you his peace. May the Lord bless your going out and your coming in today. May the Lord anoint you to fulfill the divine destiny that God has given to you. May everything that is brought against you be crushed by the protection that God himself shall provide. May you be blessed in your health. May you be blessed in your relationships. May your children and your children's children be blessed because they are the heritage of the righteous. From this day forward, as you submit yourselves to the Christ of the cross, may your lives be filled with joy that is unspeakable and full of glory and with peace that surpasses all understanding. May your home, as the word of God says, be as the days of heaven on earth. In Jesus' name we pray and ask it. And everybody said, Amen. Love you guys. Hug somebody's neck and say, We are kings and priests. I know there's gonna be some brighter days. I swear that love will find you in your pain. I feel it in me like the beating of life in my veins. I know there's gonna be some brighter days. 